Well, this is a, this is an acoustic guitar. It's, there are metal steel strings and a wooden body. It's, 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 it's loud enough in a room or in a party, in a house situation. For instance. Sound of a That's the wooden bodied acoustic unamplified guitar, but now the electric guitar, which has a solid body and you it, it's silent until you plug it into an amplifier, but the amplifier has special effects in there, has echo and and, and it has Stratocaster electric guitar and I have a lovely story to tell I was born in the Fender Guitar Factory in July of 1961 I am quite rare my body is made from hickory my neck is from maple and my fretboard rosewood me was Leo Fender, who in the late 1940s had a small radio shop in Fullerton, California. But, um, the, 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 the electric guitar has a tremolo arm, it's a thing called a tremolo arm, and it can reduce the pitch of the string as, like this, listen. It has a, it has a sort of a shimmering effect. My color is fiesta red, similar to fire brigade red. he designed me in his factory in Fullerton. His design was so perfect that to this day there have been no modifications nor any alterations to his design. Millions and millions of those Fender Stratocasters have been made, sold all over the world since 1954. I'm standing outside Walton's Musical Instrument Galleries on North Frederick Street in Dublin. Today is the 19th of June 2007 and I have in my hand a Fender Stratocaster guitar which I bought here 44 years ago. I was exported to a music shop in Dublin in August 1962. That shop, Walton's Musical Instrument Galleries. The shop is, is different from, from what it was then. And right up there, where I'm, I'm pointing up at this, the ceiling where this guitar was hanging for, a, for well over a year, 1962 into 1963. Right up in that corner, it was hanging by a piece of string. And uh, I was looking at it for 18 months, or well over a year in any event. And I had to go to terrible trouble to get this. And I have it here with me now, 44 years later. There I hung by a cord from a hook screwed into the ceiling of the shop along with other guitars on display. I hung there for nearly a year. And it was this guitar that you're looking at now, this was hanging up on a piece of string out from the ceiling in Walton's musical shop. And I looked at it and I said, that's the guitar that I want. 
Every Saturday, a young boy came into the shop and gazed up at me. I was hanging out with the other guitars, Gibsons, Hoffners, Eggmans, etc. I just knew that he was looking at me. Looking out into North Belgium Street, there's windows and there are, there are barons and various musical instruments hanging on the wall now, but in 44 years ago, this guitar hung up there from the ceiling. I was right, because after some weeks, he asked the owner of the shop, could he play me? Well, the, the funny thing about the guitar is, well, I, I fell in love with the guitar in 1961, going into 1962, I had fallen in love with my childhood sweetheart a year before, Nula. The owner of the shop was Mr. Walton, a very tall, striking and distinguished man with a beard and a handlebar moustache, probably around 70 years old at that time. Mr. Walton climbed up a stepladder and he took me down and he handed me to the young boy, who then plugged me into a guitar amplifier and began to play me. Mm. He played me beautifully. I felt truly wonderful. After about 15 minutes or so, Mr. Walton returned and took me from the young boy re-hung me from the hook on the ceiling. The boy left the shop, but he'd come in every Saturday to look up at me. We both went into Walton's many a time to see this guitar that I was looking up at uh, so lovingly. <laughs> I don't know whether she was jealous or not, but she, she supported me in spending this horrendous sum of money. Seven months' pay. Christmas time. New Year. Springtime. I first asked her out in 1961 when I was uh, 18. She was 16 years old. And that was just too young to get married. But we couldn't afford to, to, be, to get married anyway. So we saved and saved and um, in order to get a deposit for a house. But, but I, I wanted this blooming guitar so much she agreed for me to spend £125 on this guitar when we should have been saving for a house in 1961. Finally, in May of 1962, that young boy, now a young man, came into the shop and he spoke to Mr. Walton. I heard every word of that conversation. It was, it was in May. It was a sunny day and I walked up North Frederick Street. He explained to Mr. Walton that he didn't have enough money to buy me. My listed price was 135 guineas. That was 141 pounds and 15 shillings. An absolute fortune at that time. And this particular Saturday afternoon, I approached the, this man, Walton, Mr. Walton, very old man. He looked a bit like um, W.G. Grace, if you know, or George Bernard Shaw. He had a beard, a very old man. And I went in and I pointed up at the guitar. And I said, oh, I want to buy that guitar, you see. And I knew it was £141.15, shillings, which I didn't have. And he said, um, do you realise that that's 135 guineas, £141.15 shillings? I said, yes, I do. He had managed to save £80. He said, well, and, uh, have, you got, have you got that? I said, no, I don't. I'll tell you, I said, I have £80. This has taken me over the year to save up this money. Mr Walton went up to his wife. A lovely lady, dressed in black. She was the cashier in the shop, about 70 years old, 
I didn't hear that conversation, but they were in deep. And unfortunately, my father is a retired taxi driver, and we live in a corporation house up in Finglas. He's not a house owner. He ha- he's unemployed. I have nobody to go guarantor for me for any ho- sort of a higher purchase agreement. I said, but I want the guitar. And he said, have you got the £80 pounds with you? And I said, well, yes, I do. Mr. Walton came back, and he spoke to the young man. He said, you can have the guitar. Give me the £80 pounds that you have. He then went back to his wife at the cash desk, and more discussions took place. I couldn't quite hear just what was going on. And he came back then about ten minutes later, and he gave me this little payment card, upon which there was 12 payments of £3.15. shillings. So I had to pay this by the month for 12 months. He gave me a receipt for the 80 quid, and he gave me this card, and he said, now... You have to pay this £3.15 shillings monthly for the next year. He got me for the princely sum of £134. I've heard him tell that story many times over. We still don't know to this day whether or not it was a mistake. Maybe, just maybe Mr. Walton realized that this young man really wanted me. I think that might be the answer. And then he got up on a stepladder. He was a doddery old man. He got up on a stepladder and he took this guitar that you see here down off the hook. Then he reached under the counter and took out a beautiful wooden case with a leather cover. Inside, lined with red velvet, he put me into that case and handed me to the young man. The case is fleece-lined in velvet, and the case is more beautiful than the guitar itself. So he took this case out from a cupboard, and he put the guitar into it, and a a lead and and spare strings and a little instruction booklet, which I've got. which I bought here from Mr. Walton in 1963. I I suspect you guys are younger than this yoke here. Case is a little bit hacked. Guitar is also hacked, but it plays. I can tell you that. There we go. It's fairly battered, all right. Oh, yeah. Jeannie, come here. Have a look. Is another word, but it plays ever so beautifully. Were it not for Hank Marvin, there would be no Beatles, no Rolling Stones, no Eric Clapton, no Gary Moore. There wouldn't, because they all copied him. And for some reason, he's written out of history. The Shadows, Cliff Richard and the Shadows, and this Red Fender Stratocaster that Hank Marvin made famous. Why he's never mentioned, I don't understand. I am quite rare. One of the L-series, number L-1111. 
And this is the book. Mr. Walton gave me this little booklet with the guitar 44 years ago. This book tells us... Um, ah, there we are. The vintage of any given mo- model. 1960 to 1964. Well, bearing in mind, mine is only 102. It has to be early. I reckon it's about 1961. I, I paid £125 for this one that I have, and that was an awful lot of money. A terrible lot of money in 1963. Yeah, time, yeah. That was, you won't believe this, that was 30 weeks of my wages. 30 weeks. Uh, I could have bought a very good second hand car for that. Well, you obviously made the right choice if you still have it after all these years. Oh, yes, um, I, I, I never regretted it for a moment. Yeah. Let's wait to see one of the old ones then. Careful not to drop now. Oh, I am. It's exceeded its warranty at this stage. Oh, yeah. Ah, don't tell me that, please. <laughs> <laughs> that young man walked out onto North Frederick Street. Feet did not touch the ground, nor did mine. Apache, it's called Apache. It was the first number one hit for The Shadows, who were Cliff Richards' backing band, and it featured this Fender Stratocaster guitar, red Fender Stratocaster. There was a, a guitar company in England, Hofner. Selmer was the company name, and the guitars were Hofner. They were made in Germany. But they, were, they had a very woolly, jazzy sound, and it was terribly dull sounding guitar but all of a sudden I heard this 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 guitar sound just got me I don't know I just I just had to have it I'm, I'm just looking at this and listening and it's, it's it's amazing it, it, I don't know it's, it's uh, becoming a bit too emotional perhaps but that that sound I really wanted it so bad and it's it's simple it's quite simple really to play physically and mus- musician wise but the guitar is creating the sound and it's, it's a magical sound and when that was heard in 1960 this was a completely new sound guitars never sounded like this they just didn't they were woolly and jazzy and something this was had a metallic sound and it had an echoey sound and it was haunting and there's no other words to describe it really haunting and echoey and stratosphere stratocaster space age sound uh, that's the way I'm describing it anyway. That's the way it affected me. I have had many adventures with him. Been all over Ireland. Belfast, Cork, Wexford, Castle Bar, Galway, Letterkenny. Everywhere in between. And the sound of this is just unbelievable. And when I heard this sound, I said to myself, I must, I I just have to get this sound. No other guitar can do it, only this guitar. (laughs) Oh my God, that's unbelievable. 
I, I played in show bands in the 60s and beat groups in the late 60s into the 70s. And then there was in many show bands and many groups I was in, they broke up. There's always a breakup. It's sort of par for the course. It's an occupational hazard. It's almost compulsory. The group has to break up. So when the group broke up on one occasion, my wife was drafted in to replace a singer. She became the front man, front lady. And then a keyboard player left and I taught her taught her how to play the bass guitar. So she became Dolly Parton, Susie Quattro, come MC, come joke teller, come what have you. She was a blooming genius, an absolute genius. And um, my, my, my life was, was, was nul in, in the first instance. Well, obviously, that goes without saying. But then when the guitar came along, there was, we were a trio, myself, Nula and the guitar. And sure, we, for 25 years... We played in pubs and clubs and dances and dinner dances and weddings and bar mitzvahs, you name it. We played at them for, for 25 years. So we were inseparable, like myself and Nula and the guitar. We were an inseparable trio. You may have seen the film Dr. Zhivago, Lara's theme. Oh yeah, we play that at weddings usually as an old-time waltz. The people would dance to that because they love that. And I used to play this quite a lot. It's, it's quite a lot since I played it, but I have a go anyway. So that was 1960, 61. I was with her for 42 years altogether. And we, she was more than half of me. But she died five years ago. Many offers have been made to buy me. In 1972, a younger guitar player offered him 700 pounds and a brand new guitar in exchange for me. He declined. played any sport of any kind I can't swim I don't never played football or any of those games like that never went to the pub with the lads or went to the horse races all I ever did was play the guitar in all my spare time I'm not cutting you I'm every spare moment of every day when I come home at lunchtime from my day job come home I play the guitar when I come home from my tea I play the guitar when I go up to Nula's house for the evening, which I did every day, every single day for about 10 years. When I got home at midnight, half past midnight, I played the guitar until 2 in the morning. I never did anything else.
1985. Another young guitar player offered him 2,000 pounds for me. Once again, he declined. It took me three years to get that sound and I still have it 44 years later and I still love it. It makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Fantastic. Then one night in 1993, I was stolen from a pub in Dublin. He was completely brokenhearted about me. Couldn't believe I was gone. The search for the guitar went on for, for about... It only went on for a day or two. But we went up to O'Devany Gardens the next day and I went with my wife. But I was hiding behind her skirts and I admit it. I felt that she had a better chance of getting this thing back. And she knew... She knew that I really wanted this back. Because she, sure, she'd been, she has seen it since the day I bought it. It was a part of her every bit, as much as it was a part of me. Been with him for more than 30 years. That's a long time. <laughs> so, so the next day, we went up again. And this fellow, he had a Rottweiler dog. And he, this guy, was, he was like a man out of um, East Enders. What's it? Phil, Phil, one of those guys, shaven head. Really rough-looking rough customer. The people who stole me did not understand my true value. And I let my wife do the talking. And she explained about the guitar and how valuable it was to me. All they saw was a piece of wood with some metal and electronic pieces attached. That's all, really. Nula said, oh, it's only sentimental value. And fair enough, this guy says, is he? Oh, my God, he says, don't tell them that. Don't tell them sentimental value. They'll nail you to the wall. Oh, I said, right. Many phone calls and some discussions later. She went back to the pub from where I was stolen. We got a phone call to the effect that the guitar might be returned for a reward. This is half past midnight. into a very rough area up in Parkgate Street, a pub, where the guitar had been stolen from the previous night. At midnight in that pub, she gave four young people a fiver each. So she went up to the pub 
this is about midnight. I dropped her into the pub. And I, I hid, I hid out in the carriage, stayed out in the carriage. I felt so guilty because they pulled down the shutters in the pub and she was inside for about an hour. And I was returned to her in a black plastic refuse sack, slightly damaged. The guitar was only missing 24 hours. She came out of the pub, handed him the black sack, and he started to cry. It was damaged slightly, but I repaired it and got, got it up and running for the following night. But the beautiful case in which I lived was still gone. And the case is a very valuable thing. It's a wooden case. It's velvet, fleece-lined. It's a beautiful thing. Two days later, his determined wife returned to the pub. She was led to the flat where my case was. We were told, well, maybe the case could be returned. So she, my wife went up to the... She, she went in to the flats one more time. This dangerous place is really dangerous. And about a half an hour later, she came around the corner with the case under her arm. The case! The room was a mess. Empty crisp packets, beer cans, bottles, cigarette butts. And she told me the story that when she went into the flat, the case was on the ground, on the floor of the flat. And it, 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 it opens like a book. It opens like that. But they had broken the hinges. A child was lying asleep in my case. Once again, she handed out five-pound notes. The child cried as she left with my case. He repaired us, and we played again two nights later. For, for about 25 or 30 years, I never spoke. I hid behind her skirts whenever we were out in company or at a social event in families' houses uh, or even when we were playing the music in the pubs. I never spoke. And everybody said, he's very quiet, he's very shy. And this is the God's truth. When she died five years ago, I started to speak. And I'm the better for it. But I, I, I suddenly realised I was quite content to stand in the background, be it at social events, public events, let her do all the talking and all the interaction and all the communicating. I just stood in the background, minding my own business. For 25 years, at least, we were in each other's company all day long, from the moment we opened our eyes in the morning until we went back to bed in the middle of the night time. Between the music between husband and wife living together and the small little typesetting graphic design business that we had together. We were together 24-7. I have heard them tell wonderful stories about me. One evening they called a taxi home. The taxi driver turned out to be the same young guitarist who had offered £2,000 for me 10 years before. This time he offered £4,000 for me. He still wouldn't sell. We worked, both my, myself and we worked terribly hard between the business we ran from home and the, the music. And we never, never, never seemed to have any free time. And people used to say to us, which, is, which was rather funny, you're working too hard. You, you want to get out and enjoy yourselves. <laughs> but what they didn't understand was we were working from home for ourselves, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. We were playing music on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And um, we never took holidays, ever. Uh, my, our last holiday was 1980. That's 27 years ago. 
And people say, oh, you're mad. You, you should go on holidays. You're working yourself to death. You want to get out and enjoy yourself. And I used to say, well, let me tell you something. My daily routine is I get up at half nine in the morning. I make Nuna a cup of tea and toast. And I go into my workroom and work at the computer. She goes into her workroom and works at her computer until midday, at which time she calls me down for um, ham and bread rolls and a cup of tea. Then we go back upstairs 2 p.m. and we work until maybe 5 o'clock. Then we go out shopping to the supermarket where we would buy joints of meat, bottles of wine. We would come back here at 7 p.m. Noodle would go to the kitchen to make up the, the main meal of the day and I'd go up to my workroom and do another hour maybe in preparation for tomorrow. And then she'd call me down for roast beef or steak and chips or whatever it was that she had prepared. A bottle of red wine, a couple of gins and tonics. Then we go to bed and, and that went on five days a week. And then on the Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, we had the musical thing going. We had three hours of music that we played to, to live audiences. And people say, you want to you go on holidays and enjoy yourself. And I used to say, but you look. I'm already enjoying myself. In the year 2000, his doorbell rang. He opened the door to two men who offered him £7,000 for me. He said, Look, this guitar is not for sale. Come back tomorrow with a suitcase stuffed with £100,000 in it, and I'll tell you the same thing. She's not for sale. She's not for sale. She she was four foot eleven or five foot nothing as they say and um, but she was well proportioned and um, she had long reddish hair shoulder length rather not unlike Maureen O'Hara but I, that's what I'm saying but I would say that wouldn't I but um, she was built like Dolly Parton as well and that's not a bad combination <laughs> I think and she was always like that from the first day I saw her and. Uh, but well, she was a very bubbly individual. Oh, she was terribly funny and a very outgoing extrovert. She just didn't seem to have any shyness or self-consciousness or embarrassment in, in, in as part of her being. She just didn't seem to care. She just did whatever she wanted to do. And I don't know, maybe that's what attracted me to her in the first instance. <laughs> Sometimes it could be heartbreaking hearing songs or guitar tunes that, I, that we used to play together. His lovely wife died in 2002. But having sat here for five years now without Mula, and when the songs come on that she used to sing, no matter what song comes on that she she sang, it would remind me of a an event where we played. It could be a wedding, it could be a dinner dance, it could be anything.
it's not easy. And uh, so I'm constantly reminded of her throughout the day. songs of the 60s, 70s, 80s. And I keep him company. Sometimes it can be heartbreaking hearing songs or guitar tunes that, I, that we used to play together. Songs she used to sing, um, Dusty Springfield, Petula Clark, she sang loads and loads of these middle-of-the-road pop songs. So when these things come on radio during the day or during the evening, I'm reminded and reminded and constantly being reminded. my childhood sweetheart she was my wife of over 30 years she was my partner in the music in my we had a small business to do with printing and book production she was my partner in that she was my partner in life and if truth be told she was 55 or 60 percent of the relationship i was only 35 40 percent of the relationship So when she died, everything was gone. My, my life was gone. My music career was gone. My typesetting graphic design career was gone. Everything was gone. But I, I decided to hang in because I think she would want me to carry on. The guitar is keeping me going anyway. He still plays me every day. Something like that.